0: Thank you, Pastor, for having me come here and have the opportunity to share the burden the Lord's given me for Panama and called me there. Thank you for the accommodations. They've been very good. Wonderful, actually, and the food's been awesome. I think for those that did the potluck over there, it was great. But again, my name is Tim Drinkard, and I'm out from South Knollwood Baptist Church in Topeka, Kansas. I've also partnered with Maranatha Baptist Missions down in Natchez, Mississippi. And I was out there in Panama on a missions trip in uh, 2009. I went more or less as a tourist than anything else, but uh, halfway through the trip, went soul winning with a couple of young men there, and one of them led me on the backside of a cemetery, and as we came down this little dirt road, there was one single grave sitting up on top of the hill, and that's when the Holy Spirit was telling me there's people dying and going to hell there every day, and all he was asking me to do was come, and so since then, I made financial preparations to be debt-free and to get some schooling under my belt. I was able to finish schooling uh, through correspondence so I could continue to work full-time, But um, Panama, there's a lot of need there in Panama. There's 3.8 million people that live there. They live between Costa Rica and Colombia, as many of you know, but the country itself is in truly, it's in turmoil, spiritually speaking. 85% is Roman Catholicism is being taught there, being taught in the public schools. The Mormons and Pentecostals have made their way in and have caused a lot of confusion as well. Morally, this country is very corrupt. There's 108 street gangs in a country the size of South Carolina. Um, Homes are broken in Panama. The illegitimate birth rate is at 72% because of teen pregnancy is rampant. There are a lot of broken homes, a lot of children running around that do not know what a godly mother and a godly father a godly home even look like. And so if Hitler had enough sense to invest in children, I think going to Panama is a wise decision to invest in children, invest in the families. That's the only hope of that country is that the family, the home gets turned around. And so um, because of this, the... The children have uh, low academic rates, drug use, and incarceration is an epidemic there. The infant mortality rate has spiked, and especially among the indigenous tribes, are six indigenous tribes there, the, the uh, infant mortality rate is between 33 and 63 percent of all children born in the indigenous population dies at birth, and that's because of improper care. Financially, this, this country is in pretty bad shape as well speaking as far as uh, the people being able to provide for themselves, provide for their homes. Um, in 2011, an executive decree, number 240, was issued, putting minimum wage at $1.22 to $2.36 an hour. And it's no wonder why crime is so high, because people are stealing just to provide for their homes. But you know, in reality, this country doesn't need bread or water. They need Christ, the bread of life, Christ, the living water. They do not need more schools. What they need is discipleship. They do not need a handout to be a success. They need the love of Jesus Christ. And until they access the eternal life, they'll never know how to live the abundant life in Christ. And so the Lord has called me, out of the 3.8 million people there in that country, the Lord has called me to focus on 1.6% of the population. That's the Kuna Indians. They number anywhere from 50 to 70,000 people. They are animists. They believe much like the Native Americans do. They attribute. Um, there's really no... Discretion when it comes to spiritual life, they'll say that rock has a spirit that that river has a spirit the tree has a spirit The stars have spirits. They just attribute everything to a spiritual nature and then they try to manipulate that Through um, different rituals and 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 things like that But in other words, they're, they're toying with satanic spirits and they don't even know it. So it's trapped them. It's engulfed them And so uh, but um, I'm excited about what the Lord's gonna do sending me down there I'm gonna be reaching the ones mainly they live on a, the chain of islands on the Caribbean side of Panama some still live in the cities, and some still live in the Darien jungle region on the border of Colombia. And if anybody knows about that region, it's a pretty much a hot spot for the Colombian cartel. Also the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia have resided in that jungle region to kind of uh, push away from the government. And so unfortunately, a lot of the uh, tribal, a lot of the tribes in that area are suffering. Sometimes they're even used as pack mules to, hide, to haul the drugs through the jungle region. And uh, just the gospel is not really getting there. And so the idea is to go work with some missionaries that had to work in Panama City to get my foot in the door with these Indians. And then I'll be going to the jungle region, begin making survey trips out there. Hopefully I'll be able to base myself at La Palma. It's the Tarea River that runs right in through up to the, the, uh, the jungle region. And so I'll be able to have a boat and be able to get access quite frequently into the jungle to begin making survey trips as to where, um, what the need is in that area. If you remember back in the late 90s, three new tribes missionaries were kidnapped. And they were reaching those people in the Paya and Pecuro villages. And so that's the villages that I want to reach. And those are villages that need to have the gospel there because then they could reach over the Colombian border as well and reach other neighboring tribes. And so I have a short video I'd like to show you. It's about five minutes long. Hopefully this gives you a better idea. And again, thank you so much for allowing me to come here tonight.
1: of natural beauty and fascinating culture. Yet it is an area desperately in need of the gospel. Less than 2% of the country claim to know Christ as their Savior, and in certain societies, knowledge of Christ is non-existent. On the San Blas Islands of Panama live the Kuna Indians. The Kuna Indians fled to these small islands to avoid persecution from the invading European nations. They have found peace from the physical pain, suffering, and capture from their oppressors. Yet they have allowed themselves to become enslaved to a spiritual suffering as they have become involved in demonism, spiritism, and idol worship. Now 50,000 Indians populate the Kuna tribe, making them the largest indigenous group in Panama. Yet despite their growing numbers, the Kuna have yet to have access to a clear presentation of the Gospel. Separated from the main areas of Panama, traditions and spiritual darkness have a strong hold of the island. Most Kuna practice animism, worshipping spirits and believing that God is now far from them. The small number that profess Christianity have followed the false teachings of Mormonism or the Catholic Church. As men, women and children search for hope in small wooden idols and false beliefs, they remain unaware that they are in need of a savior.
0: All the Bible was destroyed from the first word in the book of Genesis to the last word in the book of the Revelation there would still be enough gospel left in John 3:16 to save the world There are an estimated 50 to 60,000 Kuna Indians living in Panama They have their own language and live a very primitive yet unique way of life. Unfortunately, part of their unique way of life is their direct involvement with demonic spirits. The Kuna are animists. They believe that everything is controlled by a spirit. They use small wooden idols to protect them from other spirits and they depend on false prophets to guide them in life. Right now these people are truly in spiritual darkness waiting for his precious word to be sent forth. Hello, my name is Tim Drinkard and God has called me to bring the Gospel of Jesus Christ to the Kuna Indians in Panama. I am so blessed to be a member of South Norwood Baptist Church, a church with a vision and a heart for missions. We have also partnered with Maranatha Baptist Missions, a ministry that has held this ground and defended the faith for over 53 years. When we read in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, we are witnessing a triune love, three in one a perfect love in every aspect. This love must be the heartbeat of the mission field because then it is not governed by man. If the Trinity is exalted as a whole and not in part, then it will go forth in power and authority, changing lives forever. With all my heart, I believe the key to local and worldwide missions is not to keep the cross behind us as a historical event or story, but to let it ever be before us as if it just happened. For the sole purpose of glorifying Christ, I believe this is when the power of the Holy Spirit steps in. We can go forward for Christ, but we can also go forward under the authoritative power of His Holy Spirit who promises to glorify Him. That's when doors are opened, the walls of spiritual darkness come crashing down, and the hearts of men, women, and children turn from utter darkness to beholding the beauty and majesty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My heart is to see the Kuna Indians reached with the gospel. Only then... Will they be able to grow and disciple others to help reach their nation for Christ? Thank you. Over right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 we'll be reading in verses 22 through 31. We actually won't start reading right away. We'll just kind of get into the message for a minute. All of us I believe are too familiar with failure in life. I think many people would here would agree. Many have set their eyes on something and missed the mark, and it's not very fun when you miss the mark or you fall short of a goal that you have. Uh, Many of us have had great intentions to finish something, but we've never actually been able to finish. And, you know, somehow we manage to pick up the pieces and move on. I think, you know, consciously or subconsciously, we separate ourselves from that loss so that we can continue to move forward. So that emotional damage is minimal. It's kind of a way that we separate ourselves psychologically from the impact of failure. And so we must have the ability to disconnect ourselves from the impact of frequent failure in order to keep moving on. In other words, we get over it. It's almost not taken personally when we fail. I think because a lot of times in this society, we have a lot of outs. We could blame uh, kids, neighbors, coworkers. We could blame family members. We can say when we fail, it wasn't meant to be that way. I wasn't prepared or I wasn't given the proper tools. And so I think if we examine all the times that we failed, we'd be here for years in each and every one of our own lives. Failures with humanity is inevitable. I think it's fascinating to me how quickly we move on when we fail. And I think that's, that's neat the Lord has put that in us to kind of move on, to keep going forward, to keep pressing on. But how about when it comes to faith? You know, there's a lot of insufficiencies when it comes to life. No one has to tell us where we lack. In fact, for the one good thing that you see about me, there's a hundred other things that need work in my life. You know, things get very personal, though, when we enter into a situation with faith, and the situation fails. We say, suddenly it's not so easy to emotionally disconnect ourselves from that failure. We reflect over why and how things went wrong. When we included God, we prayed, we asked for faith, and nothing happened. Failure in a task or a goal or a situation that we had when we fail can become very disheartening. In fact, it can become downright depressing. We can become distressed or at a loss for words, insecure, frightened, offended, angry, hurt. But if not careful, we'll begin to withdraw ourselves from the Lord. The question comes up then, why, Lord, when I had faith in you, was there not victory? And to understand why there wasn't victor, I think we have to understand this one thing. Our faith is defective. You may ask, well, why did God give me defective faith? If God God equips, if God provides, if God moves us forward, then why did he give me a defective faith? And the answer is he didn't. There's a difference between our faith which fails and true biblical godly faith. Our faith fades quickly and requires circumstances to discern truth. You notice that we often take, we try to calibrate, we try to look at certain circumstances, and then we know how much faith to apply in order to get the truth. But godly faith gives us the truth right off the bat, and then gives us the faith to proceed with that. Think about the day you were saved. The day that you realized that you were a sinner, lost, on your way to hell. The day you called upon the Lord. Why did you call upon the Lord? Yes, for forgiveness, but you called upon the Lord for access, access to his life, the life that would provide for you atonement for your sin. We needed the atonement, the atoning blood of forgiveness for our sins, and the only way we got it is because we were given access to his life. Your very first prayer was a prayer of faith, but it was a prayer of access. Nothing has changed from this point on. You cannot live a victorious life if we are not dependent on the faith which gives us access to his life, I think of Elijah. Elijah stood up for God in, uh, in a time when idolatry had swept the land. His his name has meant my God is Yahweh. I mean, this guy he was confident, he was convinced, he manifested the power of God, and uh, he called fire down from heaven. He was a man called out of the wilderness and used as a sword in the mighty hand of God to cut down the false prophets. But something happened in Elijah's life that caused him to go up and hide in a cave, away from his calling. And I think it's interesting, the Lord asked him twice in the cave, he said, what doest thou here? In other words, why have you left the calling that I have given you? Why have you stepped out of the ministry of intercession? Why have you stopped going before man on behalf of me and then coming before me on behalf of man? His response says, and Elijah says, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel... "...have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away." Elijah, what he did, he took his eyes off the very first fruit, the very truth that God gave him first by the Holy Spirit. And this was the area of God-given faith. This was the area that he, God gave him faith straight from the throne to apply towards this work. And so when Elijah took his eyes off the Lord he forfeited his ability to employ this victorious faith. He stepped away from it. This faith, this very source, was from access from God himself. And so what was the Lord's will for Elijah? The very first words the Bible ever says about Elijah was this, is the words that were spoken in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, as the Lord God of Israel liveth. The very first time he was ever mentioned, these are his very first words recorded. The call in the ministry of Elijah was to reveal the life and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ that he had for Israel. God equipped him. He gave him boldness to stand in front of the most wicked king Israel had ever seen. And the Spirit gave him the words to say, and the Spirit is the one that gave him the faith to prevail. Elijah didn't conjure up faith to apply to a ministry. He was equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit himself Elijah let visible circumstances dictate his life and his ministry. He decided that the circumstances were more important than the truth the Lord had revealed to him. And because of this, he stepped out of the work in which he has been giving godly faith for, so that he could manifest the life of Christ. And this is why we see little to no results sometimes in major spiritual battles. We step away from the truth and we focus on the tangible outer rim of life, the very circumstances that come before us. Faith is given to us for one reason. It's so we can reveal the life of a living, risen, crucified Savior, Jesus Christ. We can show the world that through our lives, through this body, that Christ will reveal himself and he draws men to himself. Just as it was for Elijah and for every other prophet, faith is a God-ordained link between our life and his power and his provision. And that power and his provision goes forth because he wants us to enter into that work. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a what? It is a gift of God. Through Jesus Christ, because of his mediatorial work, we have salvation. We've been converted. We've been regenerated. We've also been given faith. And this is the key to understand that we have been given not our faith. We have been given faith from him, his faith. The very faith of Jesus Christ. He handed from the throne faith to us, to you and I. And that's why... Oftentimes, our faith fails because we're not using his faith. We're not accessing his life for certain situations, certain circumstances. Philippians chapter two, verse thirteen says, "For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure." But at first, he says, "To will." Okay, it's God's work to plant a will. In your heart. So, in other words, we'll never make the right choice and know what to do. We'll never know what work of faith to enter into, without the first, without first the Lord planting it in our hearts. And so, we must realize that faith is divine initiation. The Lord plants into your heart what work He wants you to enter into, and He gives you the faith to follow through that. The Lord must prick our, prick our hearts first. He doesn't want His precious faith to be thrown into the wind, to be thrown at any old work. There are certain works he wants us to enter into, and he never expects us to enter into a work in which he's not prompted our hearts to enter into. John 6:44 said, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me, draw him. We do not come to Christ in true biblical faith if we're not first drawn to him to enter into that work. And if God asks us to enter into a work, we must respond to receive the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. The disciples were out on the uh, ship in the sea, and we'll go to our text now. And the scripture tells us in chapter fourteen, verse twenty-two. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him and to the other side. While he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, which would have been about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter came down out of the ship, he walked on the water to Jesus, to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Verse 29, Christ said to Peter, one word, he said, Come. Now we just read... In John chapter 6 verse 44 no man come to me except the father which hath sent me draw him so God was drawing Peter to himself through Christ he was bidding him to come out on the water and what happened verse 29 it says he walked on the water you know there have been been many great men through the ages the Apostle Paul Isaiah Jeremiah John the Baptist Solomon a man full of godly wisdom But uh, men like D.L. Moody, and probably one of my favorites is Christmas Evans, the great revivalist of Wales. There have been men who the world is not worthy of, have served in silence. Great men of God who have visited the fatherless and the widows on a daily basis. Men who go silently into the nursing homes and the homeless shelters, visiting the unwanted and the unlovely. I think we could mention great men of God here all night. Men full of faith, but neither you nor I can ever name one man who has ever walked on water, like Peter. And it wasn't because he had more faith than you and I. It was because the Lord asked him to come. No one has ever walked on water since then because the Lord has never asked anybody to. And if he did, he would give you the faith to do it. He lived out the faith that Christ was actively giving to him because he was accessing Christ himself. And think about the faith of Christ. Think about the miracles that we've seen throughout Scripture's I mean, there's 37 of them mentioned in the four Gospels alone. And then John says, And there are so many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Jesus, he healed the deaf, uh, deaf man, fed the 5,000, heals a uh, blind man in Bethsaida, he heals a boy with a demon, does the uh, miraculous temple tax in a fish's mouth. I mean, we could go on and on. He heals a crippled woman. Uh, Ten lepers, Bartimaeus, the the story where he withers the fig tree and heals the servant's severed ear. I mean, on and on and on. We witness miraculous things that Jesus Christ did. But not one miracle was performed by Christ without faith from God Himself. His source for faith was God the Father. And so Christ was fully God and fully man. There's a Greek word that's called hypostasis, and most popularly, you can see it in Hebrew, uh, it's used five times in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 it talks about attaching this Greek word to the person of Jesus Christ. It's when the divine God, Jesus Christ, and the body of a man, they come together in the one person, Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ, the deity, enters and joins together with the human nature. And so there's also another word called the uh, kenosis. It means that Christ emptied himself to become subject to divine will. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, but made himself of no reputation. There's a Greek word kenosis here. The living God of this universe, he humbled himself. Now we think of humbling ourselves, we think of laying aside our sin and coming before the Lord, but Christ had no sin, yet he emptied himself. What what, What reputation did he lay aside? He laid aside the title and the majesty associated with his deity. And so he took upon the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Why? So he could be completely... And wholly submitted, and receptive to divine will, God's will. And because of this, being in a state where he was emptied, he, wanted to re- he was, uh, God was equipping him to receive his divine will, and he did this through imparting him the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying. Now the Bible doesn't give us what he prayed for, but we see the results of his prayer. The heaven was opened... And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well well pleased. If the Holy Spirit was necessary for the ministry of Jesus Christ to reveal the will of God, how much more is it necessary for you and I, for the Holy Spirit, to we have access to him to reveal the life of Jesus Christ? Not just the life of Christ in heaven, but the life of Christ in us, who he wants to reveal in this flesh. The missionaries, uh, the Kretzmans were missionaries driving one morning to a meeting. They were driving on I-74 in North Carolina and he was with his wife and two daughters when their minivan hit a a patch of ice on a bridge near uh, exit 6, I think they said, around 7.30 in the morning. The minivan left the roadway and struck an interstate sign causing heavy damage on the right side of the vehicle. He said, the minute I crossed over that bridge... It was almost as if the van took itself. Matthew said, I slid off the road and went on the grass and I didn't slow down. I just kept going, moving towards that pole. And he's not talking about any pole. He's talking about the biggest, most gigantic. You've seen those big, huge interstate signs that hold like the truck stop signs, those things. He was talking about one of those. I just kept moving towards that pole. Azlin, his three-year-old daughter, was sitting in a child safety seat on the rear passenger side. He was, she was pronounced dead at the scene. And this is what he said about her. He said, I remember seeing her pretty little face and I could see her take her last breath and she gasped for air. I'll never forget that. Looking down at my poor little girl, my princess, and seeing her take her last breath. Here is a missionary who's given his life to the Lord and he gets in a wreck and his daughter's dead. Not long after that, they continued on deputation and came to my friend's church that he's at in Minnesota. And he said, this is something he didn't tell the news media, but he said, when I was holding my little girl and she was dying, gasping for air in my arms, I never felt more in the will of God ever in my whole life than I did at that moment. What would cause a man to keep going on after what happened? What would cause a man not to go home and be with his family And stopped living out of his van, not knowing where he was going to stay from one week to the next. You see, the day you and I, we were saved, we were given God-given faith. This faith was to be used to be victorious. This was the same faith given to Elijah to reveal the will of God. This is the same faith that Christ had to reveal the Father. And now you and I have that same faith to reveal the life of Christ. What would cause him to say that he'd never felt more in the will of God? I believe it was Christ inside of him, giving him that reassurance, giving him the ability to press on. See, Brother Kretzman had died to himself long ago when he decided to be in the will of God, and now Christ was living his life through Brother Kretzman. When you surrender to the Holy Spirit, you allow Christ to literally live and reveal his life in you, always bearing about in the body The dying of the Lord Jesus. Paul said this, we're always bearing about our Savior. Always. Him dying. The very Savior that we come here to worship. He's inside of our bodies right now. We're always carrying Him about with us. Why? Our loving and dying Savior who laid aside His majesty that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For which we live are already delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. This takes away of trying to earn your way to Christ. This takes away of of many times you hear uh, in a lot of different churches, people trying to earn their state of righteousness, trying to go into different works. I'll work in this ministry, I'll do this, I'll do that. Pretty soon the Bible becomes a list of do's and don'ts instead of a way to access the living Jesus Christ. So you and I, we may fail on a daily basis, but the next morning we get up, we know that Christ is willing to live his life through us, and that takes away the burden of failure. The Holy Spirit, true unfailing faith is a faith which says, Lord, I believe you live inside of me, and that's the life I want to access. And by faith, I want to access that life. That's why the Lord suffered not the little children to come to him, because they didn't, want, they didn't know anything else about life. They wanted access purely to him. That simple faith is what he's asking for us to do. That's the faith that's going to allow us to carry on through this life is the faith that accesses his life, not the faith for us to create good works. But with the Holy Spirit, we'll begin to show us areas of surrender. And that's when Christ takes control. And the Bible says we become earthen vessels bearing about the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And his life, he lives his eternal life through us by way of the Holy Spirit. And this faith is available for us. The Bible says we have... The same spirit of faith. Lives will be changed. The Lord will live his life through us. We'll reach people that we never thought we could have reached. We begin to do things that we never thought we could have done. I didn't really know, to be honest with you, until I was almost 30 years old that Christ would live his life through me. I thought I I I had to do this and do that to earn a righteous standing before the Lord. I knew I was saved. But I had been duped almost into a life to where I had to earn righteousness. But that's not true. Christ is literally, no matter what state you're in, if you surrender to him, he's willing to live his life through you and you can't earn any more of a righteous standing right now than you if you do a thousand good works beyond today. So in the life that we are asked to be engaged in, in situations and works, there are far more greater, greater than we can handle. You know, I think about deputation. I know it's a lot more than I can handle. Going to Panama is a lot more than I can handle. Think about the situations that you're in, that you're going through. They're a lot bigger than you. They're more than you can handle. But God has made provision for you and I by giving us God-given, Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-empowered faith available to us if we humbly give, himself 100, give Him 100% control of our lives. This is our hope. This is our earnest expectation. And source of victory is yielding and then we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Missions is the work of faith through Christ first before it's ever a work of faith on your own. If you're not surrendered to Christ, you'll never know how to surrender to missions. If there are areas in your life that you hold on to, that you, that you think are very important, and that Christ is pricking your heart, drawing you to himself, that you're not surrendering, you're hindering the work of the Lord in your life, and eventually you affect lives around the world that you never know. I think we're going to give an account one day, and we're going to at least see the fruits or see what happened for the lives that we could have reached and I think we'll be uh, pretty sad one day. But we'll never know how to invest in missions if we're not surrendered to the one who first gave the charge. And we can simply go to the Lord. That's what's so great about it. Such powerful results with childlike faith. And again, Peter walked on water because he, was, he said yes to the Lord who was drawing him in. And so again, I thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. And uh, again, thank you uh, for all that you've done and all you're provided. And uh, it was a pleasure being with you guys this evening. And we'll turn it back over to the pastor.